Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of How To Be Sound, the podcast where I, journalist and writer Rosemary McCabe, sit down with somebody I think is probably sounder than me, and talk to them about their life and hope that I will take some lessons about how to live my life better. Thank you all for listening. If you haven't already, you can sign up to my Patreon, patreon.com slash McCabe, which really helps create this podcast, helps me do other bits of my work. And I'm also working on a book, which is entirely facilitated by the fact that I can now get funding on Patreon. So that is amazing. Thank you so much. If you have signed up and if you haven't, please do patreon.com slash McCabe. Today's guest is... Lindsay Leggett, which is not how you pronounce the cafe legit, but is in <laughs> fact how you pronounce Lindsay's surname. My mom loves talking about how the French people who started legit were really annoyed that people called it Leggett, even though I'm not even sure if they are French. Lindsay, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. You're welcome. You're welcome. It's good to be here. So Lindsay is by trade a sugarist who I think we first met when I went to you for sugaring. Yeah, uh, you contact, did I contact you? Did I cold? I think I think you contacted me. I cold called you or cold emailed you. And then when you responded and came in, I remember I was, yeah, very nervous. Oh, remember really? Seeing that. Yeah, I think I said that to your face. I sat down next to you and I was like, hi, what have I done? So this was when I was working at the Irish Times and I think you had invited me in with a view to going, do you want to come in and have a service and review it or write about it like yeah. if you want kind of thing? Was that like eight years ago? More? Seven. Seven and a half, which I know because I'm doing my citizenship now and I've had to recently like tot all that up, all the dates. So do you have to do the thing where you now are supposed to be in the country for the year before you apply for your citizenship or is... Um, that, kind of that a- came down, that ruling came down about a week before I put my paperwork in after having been out of the country for 58 days. Oh. Yeah. So that ruling's been overturned. Okay, good. But it's still very vague as to what, it's at the minister's discretion, how many days. So it's yeah, a little bit nerve wracking as a small business owner here, as an immigrant small business owner here is really unsettling. Yeah, and and it's kind of nuts as well because, I mean, this is a sweeping generalization, right? But I would assume that if you can afford to take a 58-day vacation in a year, your business is probably doing pretty well. So in a way, you're kind of being penalized for having this, the, the freedom that, uh, you know, a, a certain amount of success affords you? Um, yeah, so I just want to be clear, it was not a 58-day vacation. Okay, sorry. sorry. Great, great. <laughs> no, um, and that was the other thing is those city breaks, a two-day weekend, four of those, it, you know, that's, the, your days start to rack up really yeah, fast yeah. if you're only allowed. And that's that's also, it's terrible to say only allowed six or, you know, seven weeks of what amounts to holiday it's something that most Irish people can afford Mm -hmm, and access mm -hmm. and I think that that's really what's frustrating that and the idea that because I went to Vietnam for two weeks that doesn't mean that I don't live in Ireland like that's kind of a fallacious statement to say that and even if I had gone to Asia for 60 days straight I still live in Ireland yeah this is where I come home well I mean like I'm sure a large proportion of white Irish women in your age bracket have spent 60 days 
either in Asia or in South America doing their yoga teacher training. Yeah. And they're and, still Irish. <laughs> right. And that's kind of the thing that, and this is doubly frustrating. I'm so glad my mom doesn't listen to podcasts because she, it's doubly frustrating because she qualifies through descent. And if she had done her passport before I was born, I oh, would. Oh, you would get one. So there are people in Spain who have never set foot in Ireland who are applying for Irish passports and they're getting them. And so that that is the most, um, I think that's the, the tiny frustration for me is knowing that I am here, I am paying taxes. And, and you have been for seven plus years. And now there's a chance that I might not. And I mean, it, really, it only means staying another year of re- waiting and reapplying if I do get declined for that. But And if you get declined for your citizenship, do you have to leave or how does it work? No, I have a stamp four. My situation is a little complicated. My stamp four comes through marriage to a man that I'm now separated from. Okay. So eventually, I think that if I don't get my citizenship as it stands now I have to go in every 12 months and ask for a visa okay and I think that that will become an untenable situation for me I don't see how I can set up a life and plan for a long-term future in a country where I can't be guaranteed that you can stay here more more than a year that every it's it's every 12 months that I'm I don't know how you're supposed to buy a house with that. Well, I mean, I don't know how anyone's supposed to buy a house. Well, I'm yeah, anyway, so but add to that. To buy, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. Uh, that the idea because people say you, they'll never take your stamp four away from you, but well, it doesn't matter if there's still the worry every year that they might. You know, well, you're not guaranteed. Administrations change. Yeah, laws of change. And while I am very privileged to be a white American national, I feel. Yeah, it, it's 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 unnerving to be in a country that lo- this long and feel like you've started to integrate and save full fat coke and now you're yeah, it's just it's up yes, full fat, full coke. fat coke. The day I said that, I was I'm really Irish. I'm, I'm Irish now. Yeah, it's that uncertainty. And what made you I mean, I suppose I'm interested as somebody who's kind of trying to do the opposite. So I'm applying for a visa to go to the states. And in a way, I'm in that kind of romantic phrase where I'm like, why would anyone ever leave the land of drive through coffees? And it's so convenient. What made you decide to come here? Like, like was it love? Was it because you so were married? So it was or? love. But I, so I had been living for two years in Latin America at that point. And I think I had known that I wanted to emigrate from the States probably by the time I was eight or nine. Um, Yeah, my dad, I was really lucky that my dad had lived abroad in Germany and Austria for 10 years in the 60s and 70s. That's where he went to medical school. When I moved to Latin America, I wasn't kissing any American boys. That's for sure. Kind of. Yeah, you didn't come that far. Yeah. And so I used to tease Vincent that he was my anchor husband, which is an old, a really, I don't actually even know if people use that word in America anymore, anchor baby, which used to be a really it's a racist slur basically against the fact the idea that if you come to America and have your baby there oh, your you baby has citizenship so and you, you can bring the whole so you're throwing the anchor into land oh. and that's the whole family then that can so it's I used to I thought reclaim this this term to him yeah that I do I mean I I, <laughs> I did love him very much but for sure he, I wasn't interested in going back to the states okay and 
And then obviously your desire to stay in Ireland outlived the relationship. The relationship. Yeah. And so, like I said, my family is all Irish except for my grandfather. My family, when they immigrated from Ireland, they moved into neighborhoods in the States that were primarily like my dad is from a place called Corktown, Detroit. So everyone there was an immigrant. And Irish love, like, well, like we love creating ghettos in other countries, don't we? Like, um, I think that there's sense of community and family oh, totally. here. And I mean, I think as well, there's there's a certain culture, there's a certain sense of humor, there's a certain sensibility that you cannot explain to someone who is not Irish. For sure. And I, but I also think in the States at that time, or maybe less, I mean, that was um, in the 40s and 50s, but that the segregation was a big part of that. I think that might yeah. not have necessarily been by choice. Oh, yeah, of but, course. Um, yeah, so for me, I grew up in a very Irish immigrant family, and it was really nice to repatriate to that home country. Yeah. And also a big part of that is also business. Once once you get, like, I think we separated around the three-year mark in the business, and that was really kind of a tipping point where it became a real thing that I could believe in and trust mm. and, like, feed myself on. Yeah. Do you know? Um, kind of like, okay, this is working this is, out this now. Is, this is, yeah. This might work. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That Because um, I think that for a long, and even now, when you're self-employed, you really, it's a matter of trust that the next thing is going to come in. Yeah, um, And anytime any client cancels or reschedules, you're like, my business is failing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's so funny because obviously from the client point of view, you that never would never really occur to you. Uh, it's really funny, the scenarios that you make up in your own head. Yeah. And it's also been funny in terms of integration. One of the big things was feeling okay taking a holiday. Oh, As listen. an American, it wasn't until this year when I took those, like, that I finally believed that ye would not be mad at me. That yeah, you yeah, wouldn't yeah. think that I was lazy, that you wouldn't be angry that I went away, that I, I think I really thought that that was going to be a thought in your head if you tried to book and couldn't get in. Yeah. And it, it's like, no, Irish people are like, why aren't you going for longer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So tell me about, you were sugaring in the States before you came over here or in, yeah. in Latin America? No, in so it was in Latin America that I really started regular hair removal myself. And I moved back to the States and had always known about sugaring and went into it. Hang on, you know what? What is sugaring? Because I'm sure there are loads of people listening who actually don't know. Whenever I mention it, like, I do still get a lot of people going, what's that? Right. So sugaring is a form of hair removal that uses a paste of cooked sugar, lemon juice, and water. It's uh, applied against the direction of hair hair growth and then flicked off in the natural direction of. It's similar to waxing because it's removing, the paste is removing hair in the natural direction of growth. It breaks a lot less hair. The sugar paste is full of water and because of that can't stick to your live skin cells. So the only thing you feel is dead skin and hair coming out. So it hurts much less. Yeah. Um, and and you don't like like from the experience of being sugared and being waxed, you don't end up with the same like from what you just said, the same kind of red raw, you know, like sometimes yeah, when you get waxed, it'll take off the top layer of your skin. That doesn't happen with sugar. It's not impacting your live skin. It is generally a little bit pink because you're manipulating the tissue but other than that yeah. most people have any redness is gone within an hour and and how did you I mean 
So I can only imagine setting up a business in a different country is difficult, full stop. Setting up a business in a different country where this thing that you're doing, sugaring, does not really exist. Right. What was that like? If I had thought more that I was setting up a business, I probably would have been more terrified. But it was just a thing that I can do that I'm really good at and I believe in. And so I just kept doing that thing. And it was, I think that's, do you know why I was contacting you is it was a time of shameless self-promotion that every person I talked to, every interaction I had, I tried to work my business into that interaction. Which is like such a necessary part of being self-employed and something that nobody tells you and that there's no training for. Right. It's really, and I'm really, uh, it was an artist friend of mine in Costa Rica years ago who has a really successful career. And at the time he was paying gap year girls to go into the bars and sell his t-shirts, t-shirts with his design on them to drunk tourists. And he was open about the fact he's like, there are better artists in the world, but I hustle hard every day. Mm. And I've always thought about that. You have to just do the thing. Yeah. Don't worry if it's perfect. Don't let, what is it? Don't let uh, fear of perfection or don't let perfection Mm. hold you back from good enough. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that proved that paid off in Ireland because Irish people are so interested in word of mouth, are so word of mouth based. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They are naturally kind of suspicious, of yeah. especially of being sold something. And you know what? You came along at a time when people were still believing recommendations online in a sense that I think nowadays, a lot of the time you're like, oh, oh did she yeah. get that for free? Did she, like, is Astro she friends with that person? Yeah, whereas I think seven years ago, because because I remember I wrote about it on Fashion Mob, which was a fashion blog I had on irishtimes.com. I was like, you know, I went and got sugared and it's this new thing and, you know, here's what it means and, and here's how it went. And I think if that was written today, probably 50% of the people who read that would be like, no she's making that up or she got paid or she got that for free and that's not genuine. Yeah. Whereas I think seven years ago, we we had a lot more faith in online content creators, probably because there wasn't the kind of spawn con. So, yes, like exactly, the saturation. Yeah, that's really interesting. I've not thought a lot about that. That's a really good point because I did get, when was that, 2013, 2014, I did get some really good press in those early years. Which yeah, was probably still, more valuable, I'd say, than any press you get now in a way. Uh, yeah, well, I still have people coming in. From Um, from your article or from Natural Beauty, another column that was in the the Irish Times for a while. Yeah, which is amazing. Okay, so so on the topic of hair removal, right, it it would be remiss of me not to bring up the feminist elephant in the room, which is the idea that removing our hair is an instruction handed down to us by the patriarchy and is something that we are conditioned to think that as women we have to do. This is something that I think about a lot because... I am currently home in Ireland for a couple of months. I'm seeing a guy who lives in America. I'm going back on the 17th and I've booked myself in for my sugaring on the 14th, right? And so I was thinking about this yesterday and I was like, oh my God, even though in my head I'm like, I like I remove my hair for myself. I actually kind of don't. And like, not that it's like for him. I don't think he necessarily has a preference. I kind of have a preference to feel clean shaven or like freshly sugared in those situations in a way that I'm probably projecting onto him like he probably likes it even though he's you know never expressed to me a preference either way but it's not like there's nothing feminist about my hair removal 
So you know it's I mean. not, I would say it's not about being feminist or not. It's about, is this choice transgressive or not? And I don't think hair removal is a transgressive choice, but that's fine. Not every choice needs to be in, in your life needs to be about challenging something. Mm. Um, I definitely agree that the idea of removing your hair doesn't come from a vat like that's not what is that you didn't lick it off a stone yeah yeah yeah. right like you didn't come up with that yourself just because you went you know these ideas are not coming out of a vacuum but that being said you can still like having no body hair and you can still enjoy I don't know even if your partner does have that preference it can be nice to surprise your partner with their preference yeah yeah and so using that removing the actual activity from it it seems very easy you're like yes I sometimes do nice things or I well like I mean I'm kind of thinking about that so my boyfriend once saw a photograph of me with with red lipstick and was like oh my god it's so sexy right and I have it in the back of my head that I'm like someday now I'll, I'll, I'll wear that, that for him. Yeah, and that's but like great. not We're fucking fine. every day. Right. Because I'm like, because, who's ours? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And I think that that's there's so many things there. So first, not every choice needs to be transgressive. And I don't have a lot of time for criticizing individual women's choices. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I have time for criticizing and tearing down a structure that assigns us value based on our adherence to an arbitrary standard Mm. okay then the next thing is your adherence to that standard is so at least for me like today I I tried I put on a dress and I I am matching and but tomorrow I can be very very proud of myself for wearing jeans on a neutral color t-shirt what I look like day to day these aren't reflections of my value or my wokeness as a person and I think that to try and say that your pubic hairdo is some some way an indicator of your wokeness, that's inaccurate. If you don't Mm. want to remove your body hair, definitely do not. And if you do, that's great. And if you do some months and you don't, that doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Like that's the, it's the idea that this, these choices signify. And maybe, I mean, definitely in terms of presentation, we're all, we are often, choosing things to signify, to reflect what we want the world. To, to know s- about us or to right, think about right. us. Right, yeah. well, right. Mean, I- yeah, it's just to, sit, to, to assume that that's, I don't know, I guess both things can be true at the same yeah. time. I mean, every choice doesn't have to be so meaningful. Yeah. But I, I do think it's really valuable for all of us to really examine our preferences and to interrogate where they come from. I mean, like one of the examples I think about is I have a friend who is on Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
online dating and who frequently says things like, I just don't find Asian men attractive. Right? Which is, I mean, let's, this is a completely different conversation. I'm from Seattle, so I'm just like, what? <laughs> this is a completely different conversation, but it's kind, it feels kind of similar to me because she kind of says things like, that's just my preference. And I'm like, no, it's literally not. Like, you were not born to find white Caucasian men more attractive than Asian men. You have been conditioned into it. And, and while I'm not saying you need to absolutely make sure that you go out with 25% Asian men, to like even the scale. I'm, I'm sure these Asian men don't want to go anywhere near her. You know what I mean? So I'm not like do them a favor and go out with them. But I do think it's valuable to try and go, Why? this is not instinctual and, and, and innate in you. This is definitely cultural conditioning. Yeah. And similarly, I think when we see photographs of women with armpit hair or with pubic hair, that like sometimes the first reaction is to kind of go, oh. And, you know, to think about that and go, where does that reaction come from? Because that's not like, I'm not programmed as a human animal yeah, to think hair is disgusting. Yeah, you've that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think that that goes uh, back to that. The thing that Lindy West said in her book about how she became happy with her own, one of the ways she became happy with her own body was by repeatedly looking at pictures of women with her body shape and different yes. size body. Yes. That... We're lucky as a human animal because the more representative, diverse representation we're shown, our brain very quickly opens up to those new ideas of what's beautiful yeah. and acceptable. Kind of, kind of the idea that you can't, not just that you can't be what you can't see, but that you can't want to be what you can't see. Exactly. So like if all we see is hairless women who are white and who are a certain shape and size, then that's kind of our idea of beauty becomes so narrowed. And like similarly with my friend, if all she sees in books and in magazines and in movies is white, burly, Caucasian love interests, then yeah. it does make sense that that would be the man that she is more attracted to. Right. Or at least sees as the epitome of male beauty. Yes. Um, in terms of representation as well, it's it's interesting that that comes up because one of the things that I remember seeing in your studio when I went in to get sugared is you have a book on vulval diversity. I have two vulva now. Do you have the, the vulva gallery one? Yes. Yes. Which, yeah. which I love. I actually, well... I have several of her of her merch products of several of her pins and stuff. Oh, no, sorry. I have several of their pins. Okay. Because Hilda, Pro- I think, is either gender neutral or non-binary, yeah, yeah, but, yeah. but goes by they, them. But it was the first time that I think I had really seen, and and I think the first book I saw has photographs. It's, there's a photo, yeah, it's... it's and it, um, it, it was the first time that I had seen basically several. I mean, like, obviously, I have seen yeah. my own vulva, and I've probably seen, like... My mom's, well, like not her vulva, but like her, you know, I've seen my mom naked. I've seen mm. my sister naked. I've probably seen one or two of my friends. Well, my friends are all very much more modest than I am. I'd be like trotting around naked and they wouldn't. But I had never really seen any representations of vulvas because you don't see them. I'm trying to think when I first became aware of the growing rate of labiaplasty, which is kind of what spawned. I, I watched two documentaries in Australian TV program, ironically called The Hungry Hungry Beast, about the perfect vagina, I know. Um, and then there was another documentary that I can't remember the name of now. But uh, is, it's, is the vagina the beast in this scenario? No, the name, the actual name of the TV show. No, 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 I know. But are they referring to? No, no, oh, it's, it's an Australian so it's like, news program. It's like Panorama program. and this was yes. just one episode of it. Okay, okay. Yeah. So I was like, oh my um, God, I was like, oh the dear. Beast? Is um, the culture the beast? No. <laughs> yes, yes. But yeah, I think I'd, there was a time and maybe it still is where labiaplasty is the fastest growing type of surgery 
in the UK. I think we have shifted now to lips and bums, thanks to the Kardashians. Interesting. Um, So it's not that this is the number, the greatest number provided. But it's It's just the the one with the fastest growing. And I was particularly upset by the idea of unnecessary surgery risking nerve damage in your jet, like compromising your own physical sensation for someone else's viewing pleasure based on the fact yeah knowing that many people are only seeing other people's vulvas in porn and that especially in print porn those vulvas are photoshopped and digitally altered in post-production so that they adhere to a very specific vulva standard no the it's not just that it's obscenity ratings you have a oh. higher obscenity rating if you, if can you see have the inner visible, labia, basically. visible interior. It is more obscene. Wow. So if you alter that image, it gets more distribution. So basically, of course, women whose inner labia are longer than their outer labia, which is a massive proportion of us. It's about a third. Don't get seen because, because that's considered obscene. obscene so like, and they need to get the most money this is like from such that a, image. It's this is about... Such a, a, blatant and gross example of like women's natural bodies being considered obscene and like over sexualized and then also doing digitally altering them for for not money but in order to increase the monetary for money yeah yeah yeah. that's actually the what is that uh return on investment i know i sent you this link yesterday or or i I told you to watch i didn't send you the links i'm not that helpful Nicole Scherzinger on on X Factor. Well, not I Nicole Scherzinger. And I have to say, it was mostly. If you had told me that it was actual homework, I would have. No, watched. don't worry, don't worry. <laughs> it wasn't actual homework. I mean, I I didn't necessarily think that I was going to bring this up, but as we're talking about labiaplasty, and I and I want to say to be very careful, right? I don't wish to pass comment on Nicole Scherzinger's labia. I'm not aware as to whether or not she's had labiaplasty. But there was a performance by the Pussycat Dolls on X Factor last week or the week before. And I, and I always find those performances by celebrities really cringe. Remember when Cheryl Cole came and, that's, and did see, that's Fight why for I think This I was Love? Scared. We have to, I, have to, I need someone to hold my hand. Oh my God. When, when Cheryl came and performed Fight for This Love and she was performing it in front of her colleagues, basically, because she had been a judge on X, X Factor. So she was performing in front of Simon. I think it was Simon Louie and maybe Sharon at the time. And she was up in her like hot pants and her, and her knee high boots. And I was just so embarrassed for her that I was like, imagine your colleagues who you have worked for for weeks. And then all of a sudden you're trotted out in your little spandex outfit and you have to do a dance routine. I can imagine nothing worse than to do that at work. Do you know what I mean? That that's kind of what was going through my head. But this Pussycat Dolls performance is the five Pussycat Dolls, four of whom may as well not be there because the camera's on Nicole Scherzinger the whole time. They do a quote unquote medley of their quote unquote greatest hits. And it's terrible. There's very little singing. But like dancing is also, I think, too too much of a term for what they do. But anyway, a I don't want to be sounding really, really judgmental. It's just, it's like, it's a very sexy, like, dropping and popping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a choreographed I sound aerobic aerobic Dropping routine. and popping. Yes, yeah. yeah, for sure. But Nicole Scherzinger is wearing basically a bra and a thong, like a very high-legged thong that seems to have a very narrow... Part to cover her her pubic mat, where I'm like, she has to have like her her vulva has to be taped. Do you know what I mean? Like there has to be serious like scaffolding under there. And I'm also betting, um, what are they called? Oil oil tights. That's something. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. That I was like, like she could have a full leg spanks on, basically in skin color, covering everything. And like 
But I was watching it and going, if you're a young girl watching this, the kind of subconscious message that you're getting is, this is what a body should look like. And she basically looks like a really beautiful Barbie doll, right? Where everything is totally smooth. There's not... I mean, you just can't imagine her having anything under there because there's no space for it. Yeah. And like... Um. A friend of mine texted me and was like, oh my God, where are her bits? And I was like, I don't think she has the same bits as the rest of us, which is kind of a joke, but like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure she does, but like, where the fuck are they? And then also I was like, she's 41. She's inc- like an incredibly successful woman, has been on like X Factor for years, was in Puskato. I was like, why does she still have to do this? Um, I, she's chosen a display profession, which yeah. is... Um like, Why can't that's she just write a tell-all book about Louis, Lewis Hamilton and make her millions? I know. That's what um, I would do. I don't know. I, I, can't, I also can't imagine it because the idea of having myself as the face of my business is difficult enough for me. The idea of being on stage in any capacity is terrifying. But um, I don't know. I mean, you don't have to know. That was like a very big yeah. segue into, I watched the Pussycat Dolls. Dolls. Why is Nicole Scherzinger doing this? Where, like, where is her vulva? Where's Answer her these vul- questions. You haven't even seen it. <laughs> I know, like, I know. <laughs> Maybe I should set up an Instagram account called Where is her vulva? And just but a whole lot of photographs. Like but then I don't want to be criticizing women. People, like, yeah, there's a lot of women who do have teeny, or not teeny, I shouldn't even say that. Because I don't, I don't know what, where their labia majora is their labia minora is inside or smaller than their labia majora. Yeah. And what is hysterical is that I have clients with labia like that who don't like their labia. The unifying experience of being female-bodied is not liking your body. That's kind of what I was going to say. Like, do you have many clients who you think do like their labia? Um... Because I would say the majority of women are like, I, don't I either know. don't like it or I don't think about it on purpose. So I think that... First of all, not you have to look at how many women are going to be comfortable telling you that they like their anything mm-hmm. about their body, even if they do, because yeah, true. especially depending on what they actually look like, there's going to be a whole range of ho- like reactions to that. Well, so, so I will tell you right now, I really like my left breast. <laughs> do you? Do no, you genuinely, I like. <laughs> I think it's almost one? perfect. My uh, right one, like the nipple, is slightly lower. Well, that's what they say, sister, about your eyebrows, sisters and not twins. Why can't you be more like your sister? You know, like, come know. on, right eyebrow, well, get that's, it what I, that's what I feel about my right boob. It would just get on board with my perfect exactly. left. <laughs> you, have, you have a great example right there. And you're just, what, looking at the wall. But like, we also have a weird obsession with symmetry for a species that is not symmetrical, for by sure, and large. For sure. And it's deeply upsetting any time that I actually see my asymmetry. I have to look away. I If I notice my, I think one of my ears, because of a piercing, is slightly different than the other and if I look at it too I'm like no no do you ever take photographs of yourself with the front camera and then your phone flips it and sometimes I get a fright when I'm like oh my god I never ever want to see my front the is that the front camera the front camera so basically I never want to see that it is the most upsetting thing I also mostly don't take pictures of my face oh I only your vulva (laughs) Oh, my vulva actually gets the least photos. I wonder if it feels neglected. No, um, since I've been working out, I had a client who mentioned it. She said something about selfies for body positivity, which I think kind of goes back to that Lindy West thing of, yeah, mostly I take pictures of my body to remind myself that I'm, I am fine. That yeah, I, yeah. especially when I want to beat myself up about my body to, or to think that the working out isn't working. 
I can go back and be like, mm, no, for real. It did. Yeah. Yeah. Do your push-ups, young lady. <laughs> lessons, lessons to everybody. Do your push-ups. Yeah. Push-ups and pull-ups. I saw a very interesting, I think it's Virgie Tovar, who I follow on Instagram, was talking about body positive selfies. And she had a slightly different take in it where she was basically saying she has stopped trying to only share and publish pictures that she thinks are quote unquote flattering because she realized that she was being fat phobic in preferring photos where her face looked thinner or more it's, adherent to a particular beauty standard. Kind I feel of thing. like we're going to have to put a link to Lindy West at the end of the podcast. She talks about that in her wedding photos. The idea that the only flattering photo is one where you look thin. Yeah. Yeah. I so actually I'm think actually not there yet because I am not able to post photos of my of myself. It is very difficult for me to post those. My selfies pretty much only exist for myself. You know what though? That's also fine. Is like, it? Be- well, I'm just I, I think- get, it is fine. I'm just aware of the difference between me and I think maybe even a young a younger generation or someone like I think I have this crippling self-doubt about my Instagram feed and a friend was like, people have chosen actively to follow you. Yeah. Like if they are there, they do want to see what you have. Cause I'm like, who wants to see, right. It's very difficult for me to post. I tell but myself I mean, no one cares. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, like, I just think we're in a weird place culturally where it seems like the best place to be is somebody who posts nonstop photographs that are completely candid of themselves where they have tummy rolls or they have double chin or whatever whereas in fact you don't have to post photographs of yourself at all if you don't want to and like like absolutely examine why that is and like try to think about ways to view your your body in a more positive space if it's that you're saying I don't want to post that because it looks x or it looks y or I don't like the way this looks like absolutely try to work on that but the goal isn't or like the goal shouldn't be to be posting a selfie every day and to be delighted with it. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's yeah. not... We don't need... All, we don't all need to be there. And, like, I say that as somebody who does post a lot of selfies. Yeah. And probably selfies that I think are, quote-unquote, flattering. Well, of course. Um, and I think that that's fine. I think... I, yeah, I want to be like, that's fine. But then I remember I'm saying this with the mind of a 40-year-old who looks at, at social media. Well, I mean, I think our experiences as kind of mid-30s, 40s are very different to somebody who's in their teens or even in their 20s who has grown up with this. Yeah, I guess that's what it is where I... Um, but like, we didn't grow up with ourselves as a brand. Right. In the same way that they did. Um, sorry, what I wanted to say was something about there is this giant points metric that is assigned to us based on the way you present or the choices you make. And I think that there we're at a point now where we're getting more social cred, as it were, for more reductive choices where it used to be all about opulence and really displaying conspicuous consumption. Mm -hmm. And I feel like now we're at the point in the cycle where it's like, we don't want to see your glossy Instagram life. Now we want to see what's real, authentic, like not a poser. But if you're still making those choices on that scale in order to be cool, I think that that, yeah, that's what you have to... Yeah, that's what you have to... Like, I think it's the kind of... The dichotomy of wanting to do good things and then also wanting to perform your goodness. And I think, like, the culture we're in right now, it's very difficult to discern which is which. Well, I think that just as much um, value is placed on an image of of performative goodness. Yeah. And I think that 
it's something um, I think we've been kind of shifting away from consumption for a long time, but it's definitely something that I think about now where I am aware that I'm being taught to consume, to create an image. Mm. And I am kicking back against that. I don't, I don't need to have 14 different sweaters. I, I don't ha- it doesn't matter if people see the same clothes all the time. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That, and I say this as someone who doesn't post images of myself, like my outfits online. Yeah, yeah. So it's so not it's like, even from I that creating, point of view. Yeah. Who am I creating this image for, this image of perfection or goodness? or wokeness. wokeness yeah 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 so interesting we're we're gonna have to wrap it up there's okay. there's so much that i think i could like now i sound like uh i listen to a podcast by fern cotton and there's another one um elizabeth day does a podcast called how to fail and at the end of every episode without fail they each say oh my god i could have talked to you all day yes no it's but true i don't say that all the time but i could have talked uh, yes. to you all day. i listen to a podcast called ologies and she often does outtakes which is, or it's like a little baby mini episode that's just trying to hit all the sidebars that yeah, they yeah. couldn't. They couldn't get yeah, in the main. Yeah, that's actually Georgia from My Favorite Murder. It's her podcast. It's her best friend's podcast, oh. Ali Ward. Yeah. Oh. It's very good. Um, there's a very interesting piece that I will link in the show notes that I think is by Wired that my producer Liam sent me about the kind of problematic obsession with Murder. True crime. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Why way to bury the lead? I feel like we could have talked all day about that. We actually could have talked all day about true crime. Um, Lindsay, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast. Where can people find you? Temple Bar, thesugarist.ie. On Instagram, are you Lindsay the Sugarist on Instagram? I'm Lindsay the Sugarist, but as previously discussed, guys, I... Lindsay the not very active Sugarist. Lindsay the not very active Sugarist, yeah. Okay, perfect. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast. Thank you all for listening. There will be a new episode up hopefully in two weeks. Thank you to Liam Garrity, my producer extraordinaire, whose podcast Meet Your Maker you can listen to anywhere you get podcasts. And Meet Your Maker and How To Be Sound are part of the Warren Podcast Network, thewarren.ie. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.